Yakshamash, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. we got the Polish rifle, Scott Wisniewski. I am Jay Kokorowski. Welcome to another fun edition of the show. Lots to talk about. Probably about 20 minutes of this podcast. You'll hear from John Veldheis, BadgerBlitz.com, breaking down Badgers. Spring football, haven't talked about it that much. Spring game is Friday, 6.30 p.m., Camp Randall Stadium on BTN. We'll talk to him about who stood out, what to expect from the spring game, and, and just who who's really impressed uh, in the 14, or it will be 14 practices on Thursday that uh, that the players have shined. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But we want to talk about right now, and obviously the big thing, and we are joined by ESPN Milwaukee's, ESPN Wisconsin's Eric Name. Eric, you know, this is the big talk. Milwaukee Bucks, it playoffs facing the Toronto Raptors taking one out of two games to start on the road and they come back to Milwaukee now with the series tied first off how you doing this evening and two have did you expect the Bucks to take one out of two in Toronto I'm great thanks for having me and honestly not really um I I, I shouldn't or maybe I shouldn't say that I, I thought this was a five-game win for the Raptors. Um, maybe you could convince me it was a six-game series, but uh, I thought this was a series that the Raptors would, for the most part, just kind of dominate. And I said going into it that the one game that I thought the Bucks would win would be the Giannis game. And what I mean by that is there would just be a game where Giannis would be so overwhelming, so good, so unstoppable that – there was just no way that the Bucks were losing that game. And I hedged by saying, you know what, maybe there's two games where that's the case. Um, and, well, I haven't seen the Giannis game yet. He's just been good these first two games. Um, and the Bucks ended up splitting them. So um, I was sort of shocked to see them already get one game uh, in Toronto with, I think, Giannis not playing an unbelievable game, just playing a solid game. And, uh, the Bucks really have to love kind of the spot that they're in. They stole one on the road, and really that's – I mean, obviously they were in both games, so you'd want to win both of them because you were there, but um, stealing one on the road is always the goal. You know, Eric, game one uh, – game two, Giannis didn't have a great uh, game from the floor and, and things of that nature, but game one they showed a, a great amount of poise coming back from a large deficit and, and, and really kind of cruising through the fourth quarter. And, and again, I, I thought – much the same way you did. I thought Toronto in six. I thought the Bucks would make a few strides and, and, and you know earn their chops a little bit and get maybe one or two playoff wins under their belt. But what do you attribute that poise factor to? Because they really looked like a, a team that was a little bit more mature than they really are on, on Saturday. I think some of that is the Toronto Raptors. Um, they've historically struggled in game ones, I think, in their franchise history, they've won uh, just one of their 11 game ones. Um, so this is this is a franchise, which, uh, again, doesn't make a ton of logical sense, but they just have always struggled in game ones, and that's been true of this roster as well, uh, especially with Lowry and DeRozan. Since those teams have been good for the last two or three years, they've struggled in game ones, and there's always been just kind of this belief that, oh, my God, what's going on? Everything is going wrong. And they they have been swept, but they've also ended up coming back after that game one. So I think you'd have to attribute part of it to the Toronto Raptors. And then I think the other part of it is just that 
Giannis and Chris Middleton have been so much better um, than really I think you would have thought going into the series. I, I thought Giannis was the best player in the series going in. I didn't think he was the best player in the series going by such a wide margin. And he, he's just kind of taken over games and been in control. And the, the Raptors don't really have a great matchup for him, so that makes things easier. But even in that first game, like you said, they Giannis gets his fourth foul with 430 left in the third quarter. And Chris Middleton, who was one for, I think, nine or ten at the time, kind of just takes over. And he was the guy that kind of calmed them during that stretch in March where they win 14 of 18 games. And the thing with Middleton is that he's just he's just so composed, and maybe it's because he's he's not super athletic and he can't go really at a faster pace. He can't go dunk on someone. Those just aren't things that he can't do. So maybe it's because he can't go a different pace, that he's used to going at that slower pace, that more methodical pace. But um, through those two guys, they've just shown uh, a composure. They've shown the ability to find mismatches on the floor. And then those two guys just kind of slowly back down a Raptors defender. And then Middleton 6'8", Giannis is 7 foot. If they need to pass out of it, they can. If they need to finish over the top of a Raptors defender, they can do that as well. So um, I guess the, the style play the Bucks have played over the last month, two months of the season was one of the slowest in the entire league. So when it's slowing down in the playoffs, and, and that's always a big thing, that the game gets slower, the Bucks can handle that. that they, they've been playing like that for a month. So the, the last month, two months has kind of been a crash course in playoff basketball for this team. I'm here with Eric Name from ESPN Wisconsin, ESPN Milwaukee, and, and you've done some great things, by the way. And I, I, I had a chance to sit down, and I literally watched the Bucks game on my DirecTV now, and then right next on my computer, I had your the ESPN Milwaukee sidecast for both Game One and Game Two. Uh, and before we kind of talk about just the, you know the, a little bit more about the Bucks and in the Game Two, how did you how did you guys work on uh, on the idea for that, and to kind of give people more analysis uh, through? you know what you see on, on periscope and facebook um i guess we had seen a couple other people do it uh there's some kind of nba nerdy guys that have done that for nba games over the season and they'll just be on their league pass and they'll just talk basketball the whole night and both pratik and i talked it over with each other and tried to figure out can we talk nonstop for three hours during a bucks game um and we came to the conclusion that we're not sure, but at least we can give it a try. Um, and, and luckily at, uh, at ESPN Milwaukee, we have a lot of people that are very supportive of us and uh, let us try to do it. And it, it's turned out really, it's been a super fun experience for both of us. And um, we have learned that we can talk for three hours about a Bucks game. Um, we, we, we had other topics all ready to go. What, what kind of food you have at a game, what kind of uh, drink selection you're going to have, your favorite snacks, your favorite music, all these different topics. And then we got done with game one, and we both looked at each other and said, we didn't use any of that. Um, so, it, I don't know, it, it, it's been really fun, and um, we'll do it again for game five. Any of the road games that I'm not covering in arena, we'll do it for. So we'll do it for sure for game five, and well, if it gets to that point, we would do it for Game 7 as well. So uh, hopefully anyone wants to come join us. And like you said, it's on Facebook Live, it's on Periscope, and you just kind of hang out and watch the game with us, and, and we try to give you some analysis as the game is going on. Eric, the series shifts back to Milwaukee, and, and the schedule a little bit more traditional now. There's only one 
uh, one, one period in the series remaining where there's going to be two days off. Otherwise, it's you know every other day a, a little bit more normal as we call normal in this day and age playoff schedule. Um, but you look at the the game one, you know, the Bucks win. DeRozan had a nice game for Toronto, but they were able to contain Kyle Lowry. They couldn't stop Lowry and Rosen together in game two. Can the Bucks win any games in this series without shutting one of those two guards down? That's a, I mean, that's a really great question. But uh, you look at last night's game, and they could have easily won that game. And I don't think you would say that last night they shut both of them down, that both – DeRozan, excuse me, and Lowry, I almost tried to combine them there into one word, but uh, those two have 45 points last night, they have eight assists, and they generally, I think they shot about 50% from the field, so they had played well last night, and you look at the end of this game, Malcolm Brogdon gets a wide open three, and Matthew Delvadova gets a wide open three. Brogdon's shooting 40 plus percent from three this season, Delvadova's a little bit down, but in catch and shoot situations in his career, he's shooting 45%, so those are two very high percentage shots for this Bucks team. Two great looks that don't go down. And then you go to the other side and DeRozan and Lowry hit two shots that aren't the highest percentage. Granted, they are great shot makers and great players, but to answer your question, I think they could. If last night is any sort of evidence, I think they could end up doing that. They could beat the Raptors in a game where those guys play well because it wasn't just that DeRozan and Lowry played well. I thought Serge Ibaka probably played as well as he can. He's four of seven from three. He has 16 points. He has six assists, which, which is just insane for Ibaka, and all of those were in the second half. And he kind of just took over that game offensively and defensively. He was altering Giannis's shot at the rim. And this season, I think there's been maybe two other guys that have made him look that uncomfortable at the rim, and it's – Kristaps uh, Porzingis and Joel Embiid, and th- that just doesn't happen. If you're talking about aberrations and things that aren't likely to continue, Giannis struggling at the rim, not likely to continue. This is a guy that that has led the league at kind of shooting at the rim for the last two years. So it, it's for me, I, I think I'm very surprised by how much they've been in these two games. That okay, maybe they steal game one, surprise the Raptors. And I thought last night the Raptors were going to come out and take care of business and blow them out. And then all of a sudden, maybe you would see it become Raptors in five. They would just rattle off four straight. But that doesn't appear to be what's going to happen in this series. Hey, Eric, you know, you're looking at, I mean, what, what do you think is going to happen with this series then, eh, uh, with, with the, the shift? And what are your predictions going forward now with taking that, the you know, the game one? I know that they've said, I think, if I'm not mistaken, like Toronto's been terrible with game one. Uh, you know, game ones and whatnot, but they've come back. I mean, just what do you do? You feel like now, like I mean, obviously the Bucks, you know, the way they played, and obviously last night and the way that they played, and, and coming back in that fourth quarter, obviously it's a six-point loss, but uh, you know they had chances to take the lead or tie. Uh, what do you feel? Do you feel like obviously this is gonna go seven? Like where where do you see this um, this this round going for the Bucks and the Raptors? Yeah, after game one, I, I I gave myself a mulligan because I make the rules, so who cares? I can do what I want. <laughs> um, I, I said that I, I think this does go seven. Um, these two teams seem, uh, at, at least from the, from the Bucks perspective, they seem to be a pretty good matchup for the Raptors. They, they have a lot of length. They have a lot of athleticism. 
And with as much as the Raptors rely on their guards to create their offense, that's kind of a nightmare for them. That, that's very difficult for them. So uh, I think we're going to see a bunch of a bunch of games that remain close. And uh, I think we see seven. I think the Raptors probably come out on top still. Um, so my official prediction would be Raptors in seven. But for I, I mean, for everything that we've seen in these two games, it just seems like these two teams are going to battle in, in every single one. And maybe there's going to be a couple plays in the fourth quarter that swing it one way and it ends up being a 10-point game, double digits in some of these. But I think this is going to be a pretty close series because, again and again, both of these teams have kind of answered the bell. One would one would go up by 10, and then all of a sudden a run would answer it and it would be back to the tie game. And we'd see this just go back and forth. And any questions you might have had about this Bucks team being young, ha- having a 22-year-old be their leader, and having guys that don't have a ton of playoff experience, any questions that you had about them folding, um, being up for the task, being able to handle seeing any sort of adversity during those games, I think that's disappeared. And I think that means we're going to have a good series. You know, hopefully if it does go seven, no matter what, because these are great learning experiences for the Young Bucks, it's better than the last game seven they played in. So let's switch gears just for a second and talk about the rest of the league. Now, other than... um, the Bucks. Uh, there's only two other uh, lower seeds that have won a game so far, and, and at press time, it looks like Washington's going to go up two nothing. It was 20 seconds left to go. Clippers, Jazz, you expect that? That's a four versus five. The Bucks, they'd be the story of these playoffs if it wasn't for those damn Chicago wins. What do you make of the Bulls, and more importantly, what do you make of the Boston Celtics early on in, in their uh, series, down two games to none? Well, with the Celtics, I thought that was the matchup the Bucks should want this entire for the last month. I've thought, okay, if the Bucks can somehow get matched up with the Celtics, I have quite a bit of confidence in them pulling off an upset when it comes to to playoff time. Because one, I I am someone who subscribes to the idea that if you have the best player in the series, you give yourself a great chance to win that series. And for pretty much every team in the East, other than Man, definitely not the Cavaliers because LeBron's better than Giannis, and maybe not the Wizards because Wall is better um, than Giannis, but I think you're soon having a conversation there. So for the most part, I thought, okay, they'd have the best player in in the entire series against the Celtics. And with Isaiah Thomas, you're just asking so much for him that when you look at all the other teams in the East, you look at the Cavaliers, they have three guys that can win a game any given night, and Irving, Love, and James. And if you if you go down the list and you say, okay, the Wizards, they have John Wall that could win a game. They have Brad Beal that could win a game. And then uh, if you're looking at the Raptors, they have DeRozan that can win a game for you. They have Lowry that can win a game for you. With the Celtics, they have Isaiah Thomas, and that's it. So you're asking your guy to win four games for you in a seven-game series and there's not really another dude on that roster that can win a game for you. Al Horford isn't kind of the player that he used to be. Um, so I, I, going into the playoffs, I kind of referred to them as a paper champion, that this is a team that is very well coached by, by Brad Stevens. He's a guy that really gets the most out of his roster, and this is kind of a group of overachievers that really work well as a team, but maybe they don't have that individual talent that you need. And so much in the NBA is dictated on having – talent. You have to have the most talented team. Otherwise, you're not going to win in a seven-game series. Teams can figure out the the little adjustments that you make and the cool X's and O's and strategic, strategic things that you do. They can figure that out. So at some point, you just have to have guys that can win a game for you. And 
Celtics only have one, and he's five foot ten. <laughs> and that just seems like a dangerous combination when you get yourself in the NBA playoff. Eric, man, it's great having you on. We always love your analysis, and, and we love what you're doing with the sidecast. And uh, looking forward to seeing more of what you guys are doing over at ESPN Milwaukee, especially you know starting tomorrow night uh, and moving forward. Uh, yeah, and, and and hey, we're hoping that we have you on in a couple of weeks to preview the Bucks Wizards series. So let's, hey, let's hope yeah, bringing them some luck. <laughs> yeah, I'm down with that. Let's do it. Sounds great. Eric, man, take care. Thank you so much. That's, that's Eric name from ESPN Milwaukee. And make sure you guys – I got to make sure I plug him too uh, on Twitter. It's Eric, E-R-I-C underscore N-E-H-M. We're going to take a quick break, come back. We got John Veldheis, BadgerBlitz.com. Badger spring game football is still upon us uh, because then NFL draft is next week. That's a whole different story we'll get into next week. But for now, let's take a quick break, come back with John here on the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Welcome back to the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Of course, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Follow us at B5Q at Kielbasa Kings WI. Follow Scotty at Scott Wisniewsk 2 and me at B5Q. You can find our next guest on Twitter. I highly recommend doing so at John, J-O-H-N, Veldheis, V-E-L-D-H-U-I-S. And that is John Veldheis from BadgerBlitz.com. Good friend of the show and always fun checking in and uh one of one of our favorite guys to talk to during when we watch spring practices the 14th of which uh, out of 15 spring practices uh starts uh, is tomorrow at which then friday night is the last one in the wisconsin football spring game 6 30 p.m big 10 network inside camp randall stadium and then underneath the lights of that and uh john thanks for one coming on to it's uh, kind of crazy how fast it goes. You know, I mean, we had National Signing Day and then Spring Ball about a month later, Pro Day, and now the end. Kind of quick, but yet kind of long, too. Yeah, and don't forget that the uh, the NFL draft is, uh, I believe, the next weekend after that. So, you know, even uh, spring football is coming to an end, but we still got another uh, – Another weekend of watching some former Badgers figure out uh, what, where they're going to uh, start off their NFL careers too. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a, a quick couple of months. It always seems like you know once you get to uh, to signing day and the start of spring, it's like uh, it, you look into you look into the future and it's like okay, well we got some time to figure things out, and then it just kind of whooshes right by, and here we are, almost at the end. Now you guys are going to have to forgive me because I, I, I've watched the spring games. I've been to a couple of them. Is this the first one that's been on a Friday night, or is this the second? Because I know three years ago the one I was at was on a Saturday, and why Friday? Well, I I, I can't say uh, if this is a um, a first for Wisconsin. I, I don't know how long uh, they've been doing spring games for, or you know when exactly they've held all of them. But uh, this is definitely out of uh, out of the ordinary to do it on a Friday and do it on a Friday night. Um, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, I think uh, teams are kind of uh, looking at it and uh, trying to figure out ways to maybe, uh, you know, spice it up a little bit, maybe attract some more people. Um, you know, when the, just going back to the 
over the last couple of years since I've been covering spring games, um, you know, Wisconsin spring game is not uh, the uh, the huge affair that a program like Alabama or Ohio State can draw for their uh, spring games. I mean, for I mean, for one thing, I don't think it's it's, it's anything about like you know, passion for the program so much as, you know, sometimes, sometimes the weather can be a little iffy this time of year. Um, and, you know, even when it's really nice out, I mean, there's a lot of good things to do in Madison on a, uh, on a Saturday, you know, um, late morning, early afternoon when they've usually held these games. So I don't know. I'll be really interested to see what, uh, what turnout and attendance looks like on, uh, on Friday night when they, uh, when they kick this thing off. Cause I mean, it's, it's a real taste of football. It's a Friday night, uh, so I'm I'm just kind of curious to see what the uh, what this uh, you know new mix is going to bring to uh, to Camp Randall when we actually have this spring game. Yeah, when you talk about new mixes, I mean there are a couple of transfers that have kind of popped out uh, for during these spring practices. And just a disclaimer for many people too: it is spring practice, right? This isn't the end all be all for for the Badgers in terms of depth chart, in terms of who has the last word in, in terms of starting or who's going to be a Heisman Trophy candidate, nothing like that. This is, you know, a lot. Paul Chris looks at these spring practices as a time for players to test their limits, to make mistakes, to show what, you know, how far they could, you know, their, test their limits uh, and challenge themselves. And then fall camp will probably, you'll see more of the, obviously, the competition. Uh, but, you know, you look at guys like, you I mean, you can't deny what you see out of running back Chris James and cornerback Nick Nelson, who, you know, on both sides of the ball, you know, uh, Chris James had that juke on Garrett Rant. I wasn't there to see it, but everybody else was there uh, and saw the 270-pound defensive lineman just fall over, uh, you know, in the flat there. But then, you know, Nick Nelson on the opposite side having that, you know, a pretty good spring from what I've seen uh, in terms of a couple of interceptions and, and, and replacing Soldier and Shelton. What are your opinions on those two players uh, and the possible impact that they could make, uh, you know, obviously with James being the backfield and a compliment to Bradrick Shaw, and, but also Nelson replacing Soldier and Shelton uh, and trying to reload that defensive backfield? Yeah, so um, starting, I'm going to start with a guy that I think is um, going to have the, the bigger role um, is uh, is Nick Nelson um, just because the, you know he's um, he's already kind of you know locked down a starting spot so to speak um, and uh, you know the Badgers were kind of upfront about that uh, at the start of uh, at the start of spring camp um, you know in talking to um, both to both Nick and to uh, to Jim Leonard the the defensive backs coach and obviously now the new defensive coordinator plus a couple of other um, defensive backs that, uh, you know, saw what Nelson is capable of uh, when he was getting in his work during this, um, his red shirt or the year that he had to sit out. Um, they, they are very high on, on Nick and what he can bring to that uh, defensive backfield. And we've seen flashes of it in the, uh, the actual team reps that he's gotten when he's been able to pick off some passes or, you know, get some good uh, or show off some good coverage skills. Um, Derek Kendall said that uh, Nelson has one of the best, um, like off coverages that he's seen from a defensive back. Tyndall likes to play, you know, kind of up close as a, as a man-to-man kind of corner. But he says that uh, Nelson has a good, you know, kind of instinctual feel to how to play, um, you know, uh, I, not not press, but, you know, off, play back a, a little bit. And I think that kind of plays into him being able to read uh, where passes are going and then, you know, probably jump in front of a route and pick off the ball or do something like that. But, you know, by all accounts, he had a really good 
you know, first year with the program. And uh, the, the, the benefit is that, you know, not only has uh, Nick Nelson, it, it's kind of unlike Ryan Ramchick last year, who also had to sit out after a transfer in that Nelson, you know, wasn't playing it, you know, D3, D2 ball. I mean, he was playing for Hawaii, which is a, you know, FBS program. Uh, and he started right away as a true freshman, played his sophomore year and then transferred to uh, Wisconsin, the big 10, because he wanted to be closer to home. And so he has a lot of playing experience already. And, you know, not to mention, he's already played a game in Camp Randall. Um, <laughs> he started that game uh, when Hawaii was up here, I believe um, that was 2015. Um, so, you know, that's kind of funny that, you know, he's, he started that game and starting you know, played uh, two seasons at Hawaii. And now he's wound up at Wisconsin, but, you know, everybody around the program is very high on what he can bring to the defensive backfield. And that's a good sign for this Wisconsin team because the, you know, with how much they're bringing back on defense, I, I was, you know, in the off season, I was kind of thinking that that defensive backfield with having to replace two, uh, two key stars in Shelton and uh, obviously Leo Musa at safety um, was kind of, was, would be the question mark on defense. So like if they could hammer down that secondary, then with the amount of talent that they bring back in the, the rest of the front seven, I thought they could have another you know pretty good defense, but you know, moving over to the other side of the ball with, uh, with Chris James, uh, we saw some flashes from him uh, must've been fall camp last year, but obviously he was going into, um, you know, his, his, uh, his sit out season after transferring from Pittsburgh. Uh, and, you know, now that he's been getting consistent first team reps, I mean, like it's really apparent um, just how many things he brings to the table um, to the first team offense. He's, he's a very, he, he's got a, he's got good speed. Um, he can run between the tackles. Um, he's a, I think he's a very good pass blocker. Um, like I, I really have not seen him make a major mistake in, in pass blocking when it, when it comes to, you know, picking up rushers or picking up blitzes or anything like that. And he's also a pretty good receiver, like out in the flat, uh, you know, they can, uh, you know, work him into the passing game that way. He's got good hands and he's good out in the open space. Um, and so, you know, you're right. It's a compliment to Bradrick Shaw. Um, they, they have not settled on, you know, what their uh, their primary rotation is going to be with their running backs for next year. But uh, Chris James has has a lot of talent, uh, to be sure. And uh, I think um, it, it's going to be really interesting to see what the split actually ends up being between him and Shaw. Um, but man, I mean, like Chris James is definitely one of the most talented, um, you know, people. Uh, on the team right now, I think, and uh, he's going to be—he's uh, definitely somebody that I would have my eye on if you're coming down to Madison to watch the spring game. Are there any other maybe surprise or dark horse position battles that maybe people aren't talking about that you think could still be contested, and maybe this game, the spring game on Friday, might go uh, quite a ways to to determine some of those battles? Um. Yeah. I think for a second, but uh, I guess the off the top of my head, um, I, I'm curious to see what their wide receiver rotation is going to look is going to look like, and it not I guess not necessarily for the spring game because uh, like we were talking about before, it's just right, just right. spring's practices. It's kind of about getting guys work, but you know when you look at um, like fall camp and going into the regular season, I'm kind of curious who their third wide receiver is going to be. I think their first two is seems pretty set in that it's going to be Jazz Peavy and uh, Quintez Cephas. Um, Cephas, when he's on the field, um, is uh, it, he he has the the air of somebody that could be a difference maker in uh, this Wisconsin offense because he's I don't know he's he's just found a way to make some plays and obviously he's had to uh, 
to deal with the uh, the tragedy of losing his father uh, within the last couple of weeks or so. And so you know, he's, he's missed a couple of practices here and there, here and there for obviously understandable reasons. Uh, but, you know, when he's out on the field, um, you know, he, he's a very impressive player. And I think uh, you know, he has a chance to, you know, if, if we got to the end of the, the 2017 season and, you know, you told me that Cephas is Wisconsin's number one wide receiver, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, I mean, like, I think, uh, Jazz Peavy is, is very talented. You know, he's got a lot of experience. Um, but, you know, the Badgers haven't had, you know, a real, you know, big bodied, uh, deep threat who can go down there and contest for some, um, some deep balls, uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, and, uh, you know, with, Horn- with Alex Hornerbrook's penchant for, uh, throwing the deep ball and making some of those passes look really easy, I think that could be a pretty nice combination. Um, and then just real quickly on the defensive side, um, the outside linebacker position is going to be interesting. I think they have a couple guys that they like there, and I'll be interested to see what the rotation ends up being because I, I think um, Garrett Dooley uh, has a lot of experience, and I think uh, the, the, the defensive staff uh, feels like they can rely on him. I, I've been impressed with his uh, ability to play out in space in a way that I, I did not kind of expect him to be able to do uh, going into spring. Um, Zach Bond, I feel like if he could get healthy and, uh, you know, not not, to, not that he hasn't been healthy this spring, but I think if he can, you know, string together a good, you know, couple months of, you know, kind of taking steps forward, I think he could be a real difference maker at outside linebacker. But then there's also, you know, Leon Jacobs, who if he could finally settle into a position in his senior year, you know, he has all the talent in the world to be able to uh, to be a pass rusher for this team. And then obviously you kind of go down from there. You have Andrew Van Ginkle has made a couple uh, impressive plays after uh, transferring from junior college and enrolling early. So those are uh, two kind of positions that I'm kind of um, keeping an eye on for these last couple of practices and as we go into the fall. But you know, it's like we were talking about the death chart at this point is just, you know, uh, kind of up in the air. It's a way to get you know, a lot of young guys reps in particular. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how things shake out. Here with John Veldheis, badgerblades.com. And, you know, in terms of, you know, we, we talked about those, those positions to watch, but, you know, especially with the spring game too, you don't know how many, honestly, like how many reps during the scrimmage you'll get. And I think even Paul Chris alluded to it during his Monday press conference a few days ago about just how, you know, some young guys are going to get some playing time. And you've seen that. Uh, we've seen it during spring practice with, like, the, the likes of a, a guy like Isaiah Loudermilk, who you had a chance to speak with earlier in your redshirt series. Uh, but also a guy like Mike Mascalunas at inside linebacker, a uh, kid like, Griffin Grady, where at inside linebacker you have your four player, your four presumed contributors, major contributors, Chris Orr, Jack Sitchie, limited highly to basically non-contact drills, and then you have the uh, T.J. Edwards and Ryan Conley completely out this spring. Uh, but you have those two young guys grabbing reps. Uh, you know, what have you seen out of those younger guys? Uh, you know, and even like an offensive line, a Tyler Biadash, uh, you know, Biadash. Uh, who, you know, stepped Biotic. up, which is, yeah, Biot- uh, gosh, yeah, dang it, it's Polish, I should know that shit, <laughs> Biotish, there we go, that's terrible, uh, yeah, Biotish, there we go, uh, and, 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 but he's now the center, and, you know, but, you know, he could be a center, but, you know, that's a loud 
Mike Dieter to go out to left guard. Or now, as we saw on Tuesday, left tackle, which in keeping Micah Kapoy with the first-team offense and allowing them to experiment a little bit there. Uh, these younger guys that are stepping up, uh, even a Kendrick Pryor, uh, who's who's made some flashy plays on a couple of runs and, and, and has been kind of a go-to receiver on the second team and getting some maybe some first-team reps with Alex Hornerbrook. Uh, you know, just... Who are you looking at with some of the younger players that could uh, get some sizable action on Friday? Yeah, well, you te- I mean, you, you mentioned one of them um, early on, and, and that's Isaiah Loudermilk. Um, he, is, he, I, he is one of those guys that has um, stood out to me the most um, this spring, just because, for one thing, there's opportunity, um, because uh, Chiko Obashi uh, has, uh, has sat out of spring, uh, all, you know, uh, rehabbing some injuries. And also as a, as a multi-year starter, you know, the, the Badgers kind of know, um, who he is and, you know, they, they know, um, that he's a, he's a solid and productive player for them. Um, and so that's kind of opened up some reps for younger guys like Loudermilk to kind of work into the mix. And he's, you know, worked his way to the point where he was, um, getting a couple first team reps here and there. And, uh, like, my God, like he's, uh, for one thing, he's huge. Um, <laughs> and I mean, like when I talked to him, um, he, he's over 300 pounds now, and I believe he's six foot eight. Um, and, uh, in talking to him, I mean, your, your, my neck is, you know, bent over and craned up just so I could look him in the eye, he's <laughs> like about two of me. Um, but, uh, he's, uh, he, he, I mean, he plays faster than that and, uh, he's, he's super athletic. Um, and, you know, I was talking about this with some other people when I was watching the spring, um, and uh, that's just kind of, I, I believe, the prototype that they're going to be looking at uh, when they go out and recruit guys for this uh, defensive line moving forward. They like these, you know, tall, big-framed guys who can, you know, put on a lot of weight and just be these monsters down on the line. And, uh, you know, with another couple of steps forward, I mean, like Gladermilk has kind of showed off his ability to um, – disrupt the passing game both by you know getting his arms up and uh, maybe knocking some passes away or um getting after uh quarterbacks in the pass rush if he can beat his uh his offensive lineman that he's matched up against um he's yeah he's had a very impressive spring um i i think he's about to the point where the, the badgers could trust him to play in a game if they needed to as kind of a rotational guy i i, I think you know that that's the thing with this front seven is they're bringing back so many players that it you know you kind of wonder where all the reps are going to go um but you know if um uh if you want to rotate you know Obasi and Alec James uh to kind of get them both in there and get them fresh uh if you want to spell Olive um Songapolu um you could say move like Connor Sheehy over to nose for for like a series or something like that and that gives a chance for you know a guy like Garrett Rand or Loudermilk to get into the game and get some reps um so he's definitely a guy that has stood out to me um I I think you know we're going to be seeing uh, a, a lot more of him um in the long run especially since you know, this is this is an older defensive line now. It's really experienced, but eventually you're going to have to replace him. Um, and I think this is going to be a good season for him to, you know, show that he can kind of work his way in and be trusted in the game and get to a point where, uh, you know, he could help that, you know, those starters stay fresh um, into, you know, the fourth quarter of games. And I think that's going to be a big theme, you know, for the defense overall this year is that they are they have, have for one thing, they have an embarrassment of riches uh, riches at inside linebacker in particular. Um, I mean, you have four starter quality guys there. Um, 
you know, that you could use at the inside positions to enough to the point where like, you know, maybe as a luxury, you could think, well, maybe we play Jack Stitchy as, you know, outside linebacker if we really needed to. But, you know, I'm not even convinced that they're going to need to because, you know, I've been impressed with some of the with some of what the outside linebacker guys have been doing. And so I don't really envy Jim Leonard and, uh, you know, Tim Tibisar and uh, Bob Bost have the chance to, you know, figure out how often these guys are going to play or, you know, who's going to get how many reps or whatnot. But they have a chance to have a really deep defense this year. And, you know, it could be a unit that's, you know, still firing on all cylinders when you get to the end of the third and into the fourth quarter, just because you have the opportunity to rotate guys in and keep them fresh for longer. And, you know, if you can do that and not, you know, have a significant drop off in, in production or the quality of the players you're getting, I mean, that's all the better. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm very high on this defense. Um, it's it's early. I want to see how some of these guys uh, come back after their injuries. But man, like if you project, you know what Wisconsin's defense could do um, with with a full roster of healthy guys. And you know, obviously injuries are always a factor that you know you can't really anticipate. Um, so, uh, you know, with with that disclaimer on top, you know, I uh, I'm very interested to see what Jim Leonard and the rest of the Wisconsin defense can do with this with what I think is going to be you know one of their deepest units in a long time. John, man, it's always great having you on. We've had you on for 20 minutes, my friend. I'll let you get back to your your uh, Wednesday evening in preparation for tomorrow's practice and, and for Friday for the spring game. Great having you on. I'll I'll see you for sure Friday night, and uh, we'll have to have Galloway bring the donuts this time. <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> awesome. John, thanks for coming on. John Valdice, BadgerBids.com. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Hey, anytime, my friend. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Come right back. Wrap up the show on the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Welcome back. Big thanks, John Veldheis from BadgerBlitz.com. Big thanks to Eric Name from ESPN Milwaukee and the Lockdown Bucks podcast that uh, Frank Madden, former founder of BrewHoop.com, they combine on some great stuff there too. Uh, Scotty, we got about, about three to five minutes left before we got to roll out of here and take it home. Talk Brewers real quick. Two rough losses uh, in the past 24 hours. Uh, yeah. where they had leads, but they're still 8-8, eight and eight, and obviously 16 games, a tenth of the way through the season. Uh, struggles for a young team, right, where it's a silver building mold. They should have won those two games. They should be 10-6. and six. But on the other side, they're still rebuilding, and, and you're still seeing some great signs, and Eric Thames still a red hot uh, and, yeah. and whatnot. What, what, are your, what, just, what are your thoughts of the first 10 games? Yeah, first of all, though, you know, games. I, I – I know those are some lot, some tough losses, and but the thing that I've seen, especially in young teams, are blown saves, especially back-to-back games where, you know, yesterday wasn't a blown save, today was, but when you lose those late leads, those tend to have lingering effects on younger teams, and I know some people who claim to be baseball experts say there's no such thing as momentum, and crap, it's crap. They're, especially with a younger team, they I've seen teams get into a little bit of a malaise that lingers for a couple of days. Hopefully that's not the case. It would have been nice to win. Even if they win yesterday and blow this one today, they're still in good shape. But you know what? Nobody's expect. I thought their ceiling was 76 wins this year anyway, so they're already ahead of that pace. But to your point, you're looking for things that you can hang your hat on. Willie Peralta's pitched really good. Um, he's a young enough guy that you could still hang your hat on him. You'd like to see Kyle Davies pitch better. It really doesn't matter what Chase Anderson does. It really doesn't matter what Tommy Malone does. They're not part of the future. But Peralta and Davies could be. 
So you really want to watch what they do. You want to see Arcia step it up offensively, take that next step. You want to see Domingo Santana do better than his 227, though he's getting on base more this year, so that's something to watch. Travis Shaw has, has been hitting the ball all over the place for extra base hits, um, though he uh, it's funny because he's got, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, 12 of his um, 11 of his 14 hits are extra base hits. So he's <laughs> so and young enough to be a contributor on his team. Eric Thames is tearing the cover up the ball. So those are the things you want to watch. Even Pena, uh, and I don't know how long he could keep that up hitting 433. But that's what you're looking for because the future's not here yet. You want to look at disappointments. We talked about Davies. I think Broxton's been a disappointment hitting 119. Um, so, you know, 21 strikeouts already, for crying out loud. So those are some things you'd like to see get better, and then there's some things that have been good so far. And, and again, you're really looking for the guys that are going to be here in two years, and you want to see how they develop. And so far it's been a, a mixed bag, but I think it's been more good than bad. And uh, they got a 10-game homestand coming up. They've got the Cardinals coming in, followed by the Reds. And Cardinals are starting to play a little bit better after a rough start for them, and they're always a Brewer nemesis. So you got a four-game series, and if you're the Brewers and a young team, I think you're hoping for a split. You know, maybe if you can win three, great. But if you get away with a split with the Reds coming in, I think, you know, you're 10-10, and 10, let's say, on Monday. I think you're still happy where you're at. Anything else going on before we take it home, brother, before we wrap this up here uh, this evening? Yeah, uh, anybody who's in Oshkosh this week, and you're, if you're a wrestling fan, okay, uh, WrestleCon 2017 in Oshkosh, um, I will be there, um, but you're not coming to see me. You're coming to see, uh, for example, Ken Anderson. He'll be there, okay? Maybe you're coming to see Carlito, because he'll be there, Um a VLC rematch between uh, Dylan, uh, formerly Hornswoggle, against El Torito. Maybe you're coming for that. Maybe you want to see Vicky Guerrero. Or maybe, just maybe, you're coming for Brett the Hitman Hart. Uh, WrestleCon starts at 4. The wrestling show starts around 7. So there's meet and greets. There's going to be vendors there from all around the the, uh, the state, both you know wrestling and comic book uh, vendors. Uh, it's at the Sunnyview Expo Center um, in Oshkosh this Saturday. There are still tickets available, and Brett the Hitman Hart has not been in the Oshkosh area since 1993. So that's what's coming up this weekend, and uh, maybe I'll see some of our uh, podcast listeners out there. Excellent. That's great. Next week, by the way, is a monster show. We'll talk Bucks, obviously, and what they're doing. We'll probably talk, fit in some Brewers, but we got some NFL talk coming up. Uh, just as an FYI, we confirmed we're, we're, we are supposed to talk with Vince Beagle on Monday, so we'll air the podcast, that interview on this podcast that day, uh, or depending upon when we go on. Hopefully next Tuesday we'll or we'll figure out times when we'll do our next show. Uh, make sure we'll sync it up with the Bucks schedule to make sure we're not – talking during a game uh and not trying to disrupt what eric and, and uh you know espn with milwaukee are doing but uh just as a heads up too you know we're gonna we'll probably talk some nfl draft who the packers should draft at certain points uh where certain wisconsin badgers could go uh and their draft stock we got a full uh we'll have a full podcast dedicated to that it's uh and i know by the way next you know 
tune in to Bucky's fifth quarter the next, you know, on from Friday uh, through this weekend. We'll have analysis from the spring. On top of that, uh, we'll have NFL draft scouting reports for all the eligible players. Uh, Owen Reese has done a great job there. And then next week, our podcast. And then stay tuned next weekend. We'll have analysis, Q&As with, uh, t- you know, sites that, uh, that follow these teams, uh, the NFL teams. Uh, we'll also hopefully get a chance to talk to some of the players Hopefully, to have that ability uh, to uh, break some news, depending upon uh, who either gets drafted or, you know, the undrafted free agent route, which some players could definitely make camp based off of their uh, performances during pro day. So, without further ado, uh, this is the uh, for the Polish rifle Scott Wisniewski. This is Jay Kokorowski. This has been another edition of the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Doza Bacenia, my friends.